him. Let's help him preach. Amen. Let's, let's hear a word from the Lord, Brother Ben. Amen, 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 amen. As you remain standing, it is always an honor to be here with you. And uh, I know I am an insufficient stand-in for pastor. And even well into his 60s, he still has more energy, not than me, but than most people. And I love my pastor. And you can tell him that, okay? He needs to hear that. But I am honored to be here and honored to be with so many that contributed to my spiritual walk. And uh, if you're tired of hearing this every time I preach, then go take a bathroom break right when I take the mic and uh, you won't have to hear it. But I want to say thank you to the elders of Cornerstone Liberty Lake. We love you. We need you. We want you. You are valued. You are an incredible part of this church. Uh, I love our music. When we come, when I come back here, I'm so appreciative of the high standard of uh, Cornerstone in their music. But nothing beats, in my opinion, Brother Ryan Knudsen, when there was about 35 people in the church just singing it with everything he had. I will never forget those days. And I value those days, and I appreciate that. Amen, 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 amen. Well, I'm going to be uh, as frank as I can. I do, I do have a heavy burden uh, of a message today. And sometimes when you preach a message, you feel released of a burden. And... When I finished preparing for this message, I didn't want to preach it anymore because I had this feeling that I would not be released from this. And uh, I don't know if we ever get released from this, but when we pray, I want you to pray specifically for me that God would use me to give you what you need. And I don't know about you, but many of a sermon has saved my life. Many of a midweek service where nothing grandiose was expected, where there was not a special singing group and a, a renowned preacher coming through, just pastor behind the pulpit, just preaching it straight, saved my life. And I hope someone here today is saved, is transformed, is renewed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. So we're going to take a text and then we're going to pray. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Thank you to all of our visitors that are here. Now I'm going to tell you, Tuesday night is when we get down and dirty in Jesus' name. So you may need to buy the tape, go home and stew over it a little bit, 
because we're going to try to get deep here today, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to explain my every word. You're just going to have to trust me and trust the Holy Ghost and obey God. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. While they pull that up there. It's good to see some new talent up in the booth. God bless media men. Amen. It is a thankless job. It is a tough job. Generally, they only get called out when they're making mistakes. But today, they're doing a great job. Thank you. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Everyone say deny themselves and take up their cross. Now, I'm still learning proper English, but if I understand that word there, is the there speaking to ownership, to them personally, their cross. Now, I just learned a couple months ago that the E-R-E is over there, and the E-I-R is possession. Okay, I'm still learning here. But the Bible says their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Verse 26, last verse. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And I want to do my very best. I've never preached this before. God laid this on my heart and has been on me about this. I want to preach to the best of my ability. You must not survive this. You must not survive this. Let's pray. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that your precious anointing would be on me. I pray that you would speak through me to this amazing church. God, that we would all grow in like precious faith. That we would be equipped to go out in the world and do exploits. Somebody pray like your change is on the other side of this message. Somebody pray like your deliverance is on the other side of this message. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Somebody just invest a little faith in this message tonight. Somebody invest just a mustard seed faith. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, let shackles be broken. Let hearts be changed. Let somebody experience the power of a changed life. Let somebody experience Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In Jesus' name. Somebody say it with authority. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. At the very core 
of each and every one of us is a survivor's instinct. Surviving, by definition, is living beyond the life of another or beyond the time of some event. We practice surviving both in macro and micro situations in our lives. Surviving is about choosing life over certain death. It is about escaping in just the nick of time. Do I have any survivors in the audience today? Surviving is about getting out of the building as it crashes around you, brushing off the dust from your shoulders as the explosion erupts behind you. Surviving is about barely making it out. We as a culture are obsessed with surviving. We have entire movie genres around this idea of surviving. TV shows named survivors. And we even have music proudly proclaiming, somebody's going to sing the tune with me, I'm a survivor, I'm going to make it, I will survive, keep on surviving. Come on, somebody. Y'all know Destiny's Child. Don't be all holy on me. Yeah, some of y'all look confused. I never heard that song. What is he talking about? You were listening to that on the way to church. You need to be delivered in Jesus' name. Surviving isn't just confined to life and death circumstances. We use this very naturalistic mindset in everyday life choices. We'll even say things like this. Man, I can barely survive this month. Right after you bought a car, everyone knew you couldn't afford. Hallelujah. We're going there. Because surviving in this sense is really about extracting as much satisfaction out of something without completely succumbing to it. This type of surviving is how much can I get out of this relationship without having any real cost? How much can I get out of this bank account before it goes to zero? How much can I get out of this addiction, this drug, this X, Y, or Z before I truly come completely under its control? I'm talking about surviving. The idea is always the same. How close can I get to the edge without going off the cliff? Sadly, this same worldly attitude has even made it into the ranks of churches across this nation, and we are not exempt from it. How much God can I truly have? How much peace can I extract from Christianity 
but yet hold on to the ideologies that I know conflict with my Savior. How much Jesus can I truly grasp without ever losing hold of what I love so dear? It's surviving. Who we are or we wish to become. We want to see if we can if we can glean the incredible resources of a relationship with God and still keep the parts of us that we love so much. If you agree with nothing else I have said to you, you can at least agree with this. Christianity has never been about surviving. It has always been about dying. Christianity portrayed in the Gospels and in the precious epistles has never been about how much world you can have and still be considered a Christian. Christianity has never become, never been about how you can toe the line and walk the tightrope. And to your peers... You look holy, but to God, you're just another survivor. Every time he tries to bring you into a moment where you can die to yourself, you just go through the crowd. God sets up a scenario, a situation that is designed to bring us to our spiritual needs so that we may die to ourselves and live in him. But yet it is another cruel move that we dodge and we duck and we just barely make it out of God's handcrafted moment that was designed to save us. Somebody understand that I am not talking about a physical death, but physical death is very much a part of Christianity. From my understanding, almost every disciple of Christ gave their life in some in some tormentors or some crucifixion or some in some way to Jesus. But the death that I want to hone in on today is the death that we all must experience. And that is the death to our wants, the death to our desires, the death to our dreams, so that we may fully live in God's dreams for ourselves. Luke chapter 15, verse 7 is a popular verse in our churches. It says, I tell you that in the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Understand that this verse that has thrown many of a service into a praise frenzy, and rightly so, is exactly what I'm talking about tonight. Heaven isn't rejoicing because one more person looks saved or one more person confessed Christ. Heaven is rejoicing because one more sinner died to their ways. Heaven is in a full praise fest because it understands that unless there is true death, 
There can be no life. Heaven has a unique understanding that unless one dies, one cannot live. not fully comprehend all the rules or all the legislation or all the do's or don'ts says, God, I don't get it all, but I love you. God, I don't understand everything, but the darkness is closing in around me. God, I don't get the ties and I don't get the dresses, but I get Jesus. And it is when they die that heaven gets to dancing because it knows on the death there can be life. Even more so, as apostolics, we must be willing and able to examine ourselves, not through the lens of our own spiritual goodness, but through the lens of the Word of God. And allow God's Word to continue to challenge us and to breathe us into deeper relationship with Him. Not allowing what we have done to undo what God will do. Let me say that again. We must allow the word of God to be the inspector of our spiritual condition and not what we have done. Because if we only look at what we have done, we can limit what God wants to do. Amen. Guys, I'm all about this. I preach it from my pulpit. We need to be separated from the world. We need to be separated from Hollywood. We need to be separated from the gods of this world. We need to be holy unto Christ as our only Savior. But the buck does not stop there. We need to learn to love our brother. We need to learn. We need to learn to forgive. We need to learn to. We need to learn to let go. We need to learn. We cannot become so fixated on the goodness that God has wrought in our lives. And that is precious. You ought to protect that. You ought to guard that. If you've got friends or family that is jeopardizing your walk with God, I'd rather have Jesus than them. Amen? But we, we should not look to that as the genesis and the revelations of our walk with God. We should say, God, I'm thankful for what you've done, but I want more. I'm thankful for what you did in my heart. I want more. I'm thankful. In this service tonight, I believe there will be parts of people's spirit that will begin to try and elude and explain this preaching is too extreme, too hard, and not in line with mainland Christianity thinking, doing everything in its power to survive. Let me remind you of Jesus with the crazed man who had broken the stick and beat him at his feet. And what did the spirits ask of Jesus? Do not send us back, but send us into the swine. Why? Because spirits want to survive. And it will twist, and it will change what I'm saying 
has been too hard, has been too legalistic. And this concept of dying to yourself is not my opinion. It is founded in the word of God that unless we die, we cannot live. Well, Brother Mayo, you're just using it as a jumping board to, to, to spray your, your particular idea of separation. Listen, I don't need a diving board to tell you not to be, to be worldly. This world's doing a good job of it all by itself. I'll tell you, people that don't even have a prayer life can look at this world and say, my God, I don't want nothing this world is offering. You, you don't even need to know Acts 2.38 to look at this world and be, oh my goodness, you guys are crazy. This is what I'm talking about. We must be separated, but we also must remain teachable. On the outset of this message, this is my challenge. Does anyone have the courage to grab that old lion devil by the nap of the neck that has survived way too long in your heart and drag it to this altar and tell it, tonight you will not survive this. How many prayer meetings has that devil survived? How many fast weeks has that devil survived? How many altar services have you carried that enemy back out with you? Tonight is the night that you tell that spirit, you will not survive this. Now somebody get a fire in your eyes. Somebody get a spiritual backbone and stand up to that voice. Stand up to that spirit. Look them in the eye and say, tonight, you're going down. No, 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 no. You're not coming home to me. You're not coming home tonight. No, I've carried you around too long. No, you survived too many midnight prayer meetings. No, you hung around. I fasted for a whole week, and you were still hanging around. The pastor prayed for me, and you still showed up. No, tonight, you will not survive. There's an incredible story I read, and I, I, I do not glory in this story, but I think it will give some better body to what I am talking about tonight. Stories about a woman, they changed her name for her protection, but they call her Natasha. This is in the 1970s. The communist held two photos before... Natasha's eyes. One showed Ada. She was a movie star beauty of her youth. The second picture showed the terrible effects of a Soviet prison life. Ada's youthful loveliness was gone. She smiled with cracked lips and a pale face. She looked like an old woman. The contrast between the two photos was so overwhelming that Natasha had to look away. 
Natasha was the creator of a Russian Christian underground magazine, and she had already been sent to jail once. When she was released, she went right back to printing the magazine again, secretly, and she was arrested. And I got to tell you, you got a lot of respect for Natasha. This time, she could be given a heavy sentence. The communist then showed her another picture, a young Catholic nun followed by one of her drab face when she was freed. They showed her a picture of another woman who by the age of 21 had lost all her teeth and hair because of the poor food and lack of sunlight while confined to her prison cell and working in the slave labor camps. They told her, Natasha, this is what awaits you unless you will cooperate with us and denounce all of your Christian co-workers. Natasha, to save her own physical beauty, gave the communists the names of 50 other Christians. She put her co-workers in the underground church at risk for prison and torture, and she was still sentenced to six years in prison. What does this story display to us? The enemy is not into negotiating. The enemy will present you with alternatives. If you live for God, this is what's going to happen to you. If you worship that God, this is what's going to become of you. All of your earthly beauty will be dissipated at our hand. We will crush you. If you do not denounce, if you do not sacrifice others. And what we can learn from her story is even in her moment of weakness, and I don't hold this against her, but even in her moment of weakness, she still was given a sentence of six years. And let me tell a young person here, the devil is not into negotiating. It may offer you the world right now, but it's going to give you nothing when it's all said and done. Church member, let me tell you, this world is not into negotiating. It may give you the life you desire now, but hell is still on the other side. Come on, somebody get with me. You don't even got to be apostolic. Get with me. you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 3. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 3. And I've gotten in the habit of saying it multiple times because at Bible study I say it and then somebody goes, what verse was that? And then I say it again and somebody else is like, can you give me that verse one more time? So if I repeat myself a lot, you can blame them in the back. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. The Bible says, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass, and Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and Talim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. Through the voice of Samuel the prophet, God had instructed his king to carry out this attack on the Amalekites and to totally and completely wipe them out. Everything. 
If you want to know the why behind God's what, these are the same people that laid in wait when God's chosen first came out of Egypt and fought with them. No doubt weak, no doubt distracted from a long journey. It was these people that while they fought against God's people, they were victorious as long as Moses had his hands in the air. And when they dropped, they failed. But when they rose, they succeeded. And even in their victories, God remembered those that hindered his people on their escape from Egypt. And let me just stop here long enough to say, don't mess with me, people. They got a pastor. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 9. The Bible tells us, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. Everyone say, all that was good. And all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they utterly destroyed. Now, I think if you had an, a chance to hang around with Saul and hear his opinion on why he would save the good and kill the bad, I think there would be some people that would say, you know, Saul, that's rightly dividing the word of God. God just wants you to kill the bad things. God doesn't really want you to keep the good things. In fact, Saul, I think you're doing the right thing for keeping the sheep for a offering to the Lord. You know, Saul, this, this, is, this, is, this is correct interpretation, Saul. God didn't really mean everything. You see, in Scripture, he, he just means the bad things. I mean, God wouldn't want you to kill the best of the sheep. God wouldn't want you to kill the best of the oxen. Surely, Saul, keep the good. Come on, somebody get with me. Keep the good. But go ahead and get rid of all the hard stuff and all the really noticeably vile stuff. You know, preacher, go ahead and preach against the things that the Bible is really clear about. But Everything in the middle, surely grace is sufficient for me. You know, just go after the stuff, preacher, that, that doesn't really mean I have to die. I think Saul would have been seen as reasonable, maybe almost equitable, maybe almost a good stand-up king to make such an esteemed and good decision. The only problem, Saul, is God wasn't looking to your opinion about wiping out this filth. God wasn't interested in Saul's ability to please both sides of the spectrum and put at peace the arguing people. God was looking for a king that would do it his way and only his way. God was looking for a man that would say, God, I don't get it. God, it hurts. God, this is going to cause some pain. This is going to cause some friction. But not my will, God. Thine be done. 
Let me preach to somebody here. It's not enough just to stand up against all the things that you agree with. It's not just us to stand against all the things that you find commonality with. We've got to stand in line with the preached word of God. It is not sufficient to parse what you like and do away with what you don't like. It's not enough to keep the parts of the gospel that speak well to you and disregard the parts that are a little too difficult. I wish I could preach to a good-natured Pentecostal today that I love. I love how you worship. I love how we dress. I love how we talk. But we ought not do away with the parts of Scripture that we don't agree with. Well, man, pastor's preaching that a little too hard. I didn't hear that at my old church. Well, you're not at the old church. Well, man, God, you're really challenging me in a way I've never been challenged before. That's good. God ought to be challenging you. Let's pray. Let's pray. I'm feeling like there's people that are putting words in my mouth. And are trying to say I'm saying things that I'm not saying. And if I haven't said it before, let me say it again. Our trajectory in God is not only defined by what we have done. It's about the vistas and the journeys that God wants to lead us into. And it is not enough for us to look back on previous victories and use that as a scapegoat to where God wants to take us as individuals. We have to be willing to put our hands back to the plow and say, God, I outreached when I was a new convert, but I'm going to outreach again. I fasted when I was a new convert. I'm going to fast again. I, 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 I was all about worship when it was my first time, and I'm going to be all about worship now. The Bible tells us that Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul was so convinced of his goodness that he was unable to see that he did not fully obey God. He was so deceived with his own righteousness, he was not able to see that God was challenging Saul to adhere to the letter of what he had said. And if you think I'm preaching legalism, I'm not. Legalism is not when God personally convicts you and challenges you to do something for his benefit and his glory. Let me tell you true legalism. True legalism is when you do not have the Holy Ghost and you just do things because you were told to do them. Let me say that again. True legalism is when you do not have the Holy Ghost and you show up to church because you're told to show up to church. You read the Bible because you're told to read the Bible. True submission to God is when you have the Spirit of God and God says, we got to do it this way. God says, we gotta, we, we, we got to try it this way. And God speaks to you through the pulpit, through the word of God, through your prayer time, and says, let's try again. That's not quite the way I want it. 
That's not legalism. That's called relationship. That's called you having a one-to-one relationship with God that is backed up by this pulpit. That when God tells you, get the TV out, the preacher can affirm, yes, that was God. Get it out. That is, that is not legalism. That is the Holy Ghost. It took the man of God to bring clarity to Saul's confused situation when he said, Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. When the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things of the world, it does not need our opinion. It needs our obedience. When the Bible says, put no evil things before your eyes, it does not need our private interpretation. It needs obedience. When it says, love your brother as you love yourself, it does not need clarity on your particular situation. It needs obedience. Let's pray. Saul was the very epitome of a spiritual survivor. How can I get through this and still be right with the people and be right with God? How can I get on the other side of this and keep Agag, a brother in friendship, but still peace what he asked me to do? How can I duck and dodge through this particular request from God and still be in his favor? And I'll tell you how serious God is about his word. Even Samuel had an understanding. He could not leave what God said undone. And the Bible tells us that he brought Agag through. And Samuel did what Saul was unwilling to do and drew the sword and killed Agag. One minister told me that Samuel did this because he knew what God was expecting of Saul, and when Saul was unable to do it, Samuel still knew God was expecting this to be accomplished. And if you're not going to do it, I'm going to have to step in and do it for you. And let me just be a little vulnerable. There has been things in my life that I have been unwilling to deal with, that my pastor got up behind the pulpit, and some may have thought he was mean. Some thought maybe he thought he was too rough, that he was too poignant, that he was too focused, but he took out that sword and he began to saw and cut things out of my life that I was unable and unwilling to deal with. And it was because of what he was willing to do in the pulpit and I was unwilling to do in the privacy of my home that saved me. It stands to reason in our futile attempts to remain spiritually autonomous that we have succumbed to another master. Truly, our survival instinct shows that there are others that still rule in our members. It is the answer of yes to our worst half that is further proof that there are yet parts of us that have survived. 
Unlike the world, we do not glory in this survival as Saul did. We lament that despite what seems to be our best efforts, there are still parts of us yet to feel the bite of death. If you don't believe me, let's go to Romans chapter 7. Verse 19. Paul speaking, for the good that I will to do, I do not. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that still dwells in me. But Saul, didn't you repent? Haven't you been baptized? Aren't you full of the Holy Ghost? Yes, Saul was all, Paul was all those things, but he was still wrestling. He was still fighting. He was still battling parts of his spirit, parts of his manly nature that had not yet fully succumbed. To the death. Yes, Paul had an elevated position. Yes, he wrote most of the New Testament. But even Paul had to wrestle continually with his flesh and say, man, I may not have got you last week, but I'm getting you this week. Man, you may have gotten me yesterday, but I'm coming after you today. You will not survive. I want to challenge somebody here. Go to war with your flesh. Go to war with those voices. I know you've repented. I know you've been baptized. But there's still a fight to be had. There's still a battle to be won. Even in Paul's high and lofty position, he said, I exploits of one of the most incredible followers of Christ, there was this ongoing friction between what God wanted for him and what his flesh desired. I'm not preaching this from an elevated position that I have this all figured out. I'm preaching this from a position that I'm still at war, that I'm still struggling, that I'm still grappling, that I'm still pushing back against the darkness. But the worst thing I could do in my spiritual walk is say, well, So you're going to have to get back to the wrestling circle. And you're going to have to go back to grappling and praying and pushing and tearing until you have succumbed put in a, in a chokehold. That dirty devil that still haunts you at night, that still comes after you until you have vanquished it. And when that thing is gone, i got another one for you. Because I've got a plan and a mission for your life that does not include those spirits, those lying, those doubts. I'm really trying to minister to somebody that has spent way too many times in the rafters and not enough time wrestling with those things that are holding you back from what God has for your life. In my short time in ministry, I have found that generally when people desire to go in ministry and they're being held back, 
there are still some things in their life God is trying to work them through. Don't get mad at the pastor. Don't get mad at the church. We want you to win souls. We want to use you. But you got to go back to that circle. And you got to go back to work wrestling and fighting and, and putting, 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 putting the death mark on those things that are taking away what God has for you. Can we pray again? Don't let it survive another night. Don't let those lying voices survive another altar call. Don't let your doubts, your suspicions survive another prayer meeting. You cannot survive this. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 27, and I'm wrapping up. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 27. The Bible says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. Verse 32, and as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. The cross, an instrument by which Christ would suffer, not for his sins, but for the sins of all humanity, has become a symbol of sacrifice. A crude object made of two pieces of wood, put on the back of a bloody Christ, made him to carry or better yet, to drag its dead weight to Golgotha. Where he would be shamed as he was stretched limb by limb and nailed to an already bloody altar for the sin of humanity. Even Pilate, the perverse Gentile he was, was able to see this man was truly unworthy of this sentence. But like so many today, is willing to sacrifice the perfect so he may survive another day. What has always struck me about this passage was how at the beginning of what must have been an already impossible task of being beaten so badly, the cross was removed from what must have been Jesus' feeble body. And handed off to one by the name of Simon the Cyrene. It has made me wonder what God's ultimate plan was in this. The Romans surely did not remove the cross for pity's sake. But only hoping to get more of a show of Christ and prolong 
his already incredible suffering. But we know nothing that happened at Calvary was an accident. It was all orchestrated by God and held incredible meaning. So what was the reason of this? My thoughts for this always went to Christ's inability to bear the cross. Surely he would have been unable to hold such a weighty object on his fatigued shoulders and needed the help of a bystander. Surely after the beatings of the 39 cast of nine tails, 39 whips, surely after the having a crown of thorns on his head and being beaten and mocked, surely his body would be unable to bear the weight of this cross. This reasoning never quite sat right with me. Jesus was going to get on that cross. Too much was at stake. No amount of fatigue, no amount of difficulty would keep Jesus from his mission of saving you. I think a better understanding of this is found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and you may stand. The Bible tells us, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It was impressed on my heart if not by the reason of our Lord's weakness to bear this burden. But maybe that he would take on only so much of the burden. He would only take the cross so far. If you want to share in his glory, you must bear the cross as well. If you are to share in heavenly kingdoms, if you will reign with me, here, take your cross and follow me to Calvary. If not for Christ's weaknesses, maybe for an illustration that to any bystander, any follower of Jesus, at some point in your walk, you must bear the burden of your own cross. Because it was not Jesus' sins that he carried to Calvary. It was yours. Oh, I could, I could take it all the way. I could take this cross all to Calvary and back. I could do it twice. That's how much I love you. But unless you suffer, you will not win. What am I saying today? I'm saying that we cannot survive this. We must allow God to challenge the things in our heart that still remain. We must allow God to get down in the deepest places of the reservoir of our heart and say, that has got to go. I don't know what it is for you, but I know God's not done with you yet. I don't know what the answer is, but I know God's not completed with his task in you yet. 
I know God still has challenges. He still has victories. He still has battles for each and every one of us. But we must be willing to say, Jesus, I'm willing to bear my cross. I'm not going to rest on previous victories. I'm not going to rest on previous wars won. I'm willing to take this all the way to heaven. Jordan, you can come. I hope I was able to get what was on my heart at least into your ears. But too often, even as one raised in this, I have looked to my own goodness in a way to survive God's challenges. And the reality is that if we are to experience true life in Christ, we must die to ourselves. That death may be a dream that Jesus is asking you to lay at his feet. That death may be an old sin that you've never been able to truly vacate. And you need to tell it tonight, you will not survive. Maybe it's an opinion. Maybe it's an interpretation privately held in the chasms of your heart that you need to unearth. And you need to say, God, I've let this prism define what you've said too many times. And I know I can't continue to grow in this. I think a great place to start in this altar is to thank God for every past victory. To thank God for every battle won. And say, God, if you did it for me back then, you can do it for me here. Anybody remember the night? when you first repented and the shackles that seemed like they never came off fell to your feet. Anybody remember the sleepless nights before you came to God and the moment you repented sweet, peaceful sleep came back. Anybody remember the voices that would not stop talking but after one prayer meeting where you gave God your whole heart. They were silenced. That was not designed to be a one-time event. God has that for you again. And again. And again. But you've got to get enough backbone. Enough spiritual fire in your eyes. That you look at every lying devil. Every lying voice. And you tell it you will not survive. I am going to this altar with the express desire to wipe you out. I'm going to this altar today. I'm going to go into this altar until you no longer have a voice. You no longer have a place. You no longer have jurisdiction. Can we pray? Maybe Jesus has been challenging somebody here today. It's time to pick up your cross. 
It's time for you to throw a little bit of the weight of it. Oh, his burden is easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, but we can still die to burden. We still have to be yoked. Oh, it's easy. It's way better than what this world offers. And I want to challenge somebody today that maybe have not yet fully come to Christ, that has not yet been repented, which is a form of spiritual death, that has not yet been baptized, which is a form of spiritual burial, and has not yet received the Holy Ghost, which is spiritual resurrection, that you will be yoked to something. But you can choose today to be yoked to Christ. And there's no life like this life. There's no burden like this burden. There's no love like this love. But church, we've got to continue to grow. God's got great plans for Liberty Lake. God's got great plans for Cornerstone South. Amen. God's got great plans for this, for this area. But what we need is we need some, some good old saints that are not afraid to go back to battle, to go back to war, to hit that altar and wrestle again, to hit that altar and fight again, to get that old flame back in your eyes and outreach like you used to outreach, pray like you used to pray, and fight like you used to fight. So I want to I open this altar to anyone and everyone that is tired of surviving and is ready to die so that you may have life again. God bless you. Let me tell somebody, God is for you. God is with you. God is on your side. God wants you. But he wants to challenge those areas in our life that we keep surviving. Come on, somebody. God is not against you. 
I did not preach this to shame anybody. This is a challenge we all face. you're praying, let me read this verse, and I was meaning to read this, and I did not. The Bible says, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Church, there's life on the other side of this. There's peace on the other side of this. But we got to get back to work. We've got to get back to work. We've got to let God continue to challenge us. Somebody reach out to God. God, I, I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life. I'm so thankful for the good work you've wrought in me. God, I love you. God, I praise you. But God, I want to live more full. I want to have more peace. I want to have more direction. I want to have more joy. God, let me get back to the plow. Let me get back to work, Jesus. Come on, somebody reach out. God, I want it. God, I want it. God, I want it. God, I'm not afraid of the challenge. I'm not afraid of change. God, I'm not afraid of becoming who you made me to be, Jesus. I want it, God. I want it, God. I want it, God. I will not run from this. I will not hide from this. Come on, God wants to unearth some things. God wants to challenge some things. But God's telling us there's life on the other side of this. There's peace on the other side of this. There's hope on the other side of this.